Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. Thank you. We are a spiritual and spirited community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth and meaning, dedicated to being in right relationship with one another, with ourselves, and with this planet. We come from a a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in everyone. And so one of the ways that we greet the divine on a Sunday morning is by turning to one another and welcoming one another here. If you're watching on the live stream, welcome to you as well. And if you have comments on the platform in which you're watching, please do greet one another in the comments. Glad you're here. Please join me as we light the chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our call to worship today was written by Ralph Waldo Emerson, one of our Unitarian forebears. A person person will worship something. Have no doubt about that. We may think our tribute is paid in secret in the dark recesses of our hearts, but it will out. That which dominates our imaginations and our thoughts will determine our lives and character. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship. For what we are worshiping, we are becoming. This congregation wrote a mission statement to guide our intentions and our actions. We wrote it on the wall, and we say it together every Sunday. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. That's what we're doing here. Every Sunday, we also have a moment for beloved community where we share some... um, history of black and brown indigenous people, or a joy for any of those communities. And today it's a joy. I want to tell you that the global mathematics competition was won by a young Nigerian girl. Her name is Faith Odunsi, and she looks like a young teenage girl. Her her picture uh, on the newspaper was like this. She beat out mathematicians from China and from the U.S., from everywhere. She was on top of the global mathematics competition. Faith Odunsi. Congratulations, Faith. Sorrow here. 
brothers and our sisters and everyone in between, we see you, everyone in between. Our meditation reading for today was written by white American author Julia Cameron in her book, Finding Water, the Art of Perseverance. Perfectionism doesn't believe in practice shots. It doesn't believe in improvement. Perfectionism has never heard that anything worth doing is worth doing badly, and that if we allow ourselves to do something badly, we might in time become quite good at it. Perfectionism measures our beginner's work against the finished work of masters. Perfectionism thrives on comparison and competition. It doesn't know how to say, good try, or job well done. The critic does not believe in creative glee, or any glee at all for that matter. No, perfectionism is a very serious matter. Now is the time in our worship when we enter together into an attitude of prayer and meditation where we might speak or listen to God as we understand God, or just listen to our inner wisdom, or just watch our breath as it goes in and out of our bodies. Let us enter into what Ralph Waldo Emerson called the wise silence together. We hold so many in our hearts this morning. We hold the people who have been through the tornadoes in our hearts and we Hope with all our might that more will be found alive. We hold the people in our hearts in South America and Africa who are not able to get vaccinated against this pandemic virus. We will do what we can 
to open the hearts of the people in our country so that we send vaccines everywhere they are needed. We hold in our hearts those we know who are suffering. We give thanks for those we know who are rejoicing. May we feel ourselves rooted in the heart of compassion and held in the great arms of love. May it be so. You didn't even notice It ain't raining anymore It's hard to breathe when all you know is The struggle of staying above The rising water line Well, the sky has finally opened The rain and wind stop blowing But you're stuck out in the same storm again You hold tight to your umbrella Well darling I'm just trying to tell you that there's always been a rainbow hanging over your head If you could see what I see You'd be blinded by the colors Yellow, red, and orange, and green And at least a million others So tie up the boat, take off your coat And take a look around Cause the sky has finally opened The rain and wind stop blowing But you're stuck out in the same old storm again you hold tight to your umbrella Well, darling, I'm just trying to tell you That there's always been a rainbow Hanging over your head Oh, tie up the bow your coat and take a look around everything is all right now cause the sky has finally opened the rain and winds start blowing but you're stuck out in the same old storm again let go of your umbrella Cause darling, I'm just trying to tell ya That there's always been a rainbow Hanging over your head Yeah, there's always been a rainbow Hanging over your head
Many years ago, I asked for Martha Stewart's gardening book for Christmas. I was a new gardener, and I was going to be a perfect gardener. And the book certainly was inspiring. Just the photographs of peonies and, and pyracantha berries and pear trees, and even her garden in the wintertime was wonderful because she had these little stone walls that she had built (laughs) that showed up even in the snow. And that little voice inside my head that says, you are pitiful was exacerbated by Martha Stewart's book until I read that she sleeps four hours a night and has 15 helpers. If I had 15 helpers, I'd sleep eight hours, but that's just me. (laughs) That little voice inside your head, the Hebrews called it Satan, Satan means the accuser, and the image that it's um, meant to conjure is being in a courtroom where you are the accused, and God is the judge, and also the defense attorney. And so the accuser points at you and says all your sins and all your missteps and describes you in the worst possible terms the way your ex-partner would. I used to be a lot more of a perfectionist than I am now, although I think age knocks it out of you to a certain extent. Um, Although this cloth was a little bit crooked when I came in, and so Cammy and I had to work until we got it straight enough, which I thought was ironic and funny for a sermon on perfectionism. But that's how the spirit rolls. Perfectionism is an addiction, and it's encouraged by our culture. And you can try and try to be as perfect as possible, and really people don't notice. They just go, how good you are, how wonderful you are. And they forget how human you are, and sometimes you forget how human you are. And you don't make room in your day for being human. Because even though most of us are not perfectionists in every single area, There are certain areas in which we are. For example, our grammar. (laughs) Or our food intake. Or our exercise program or our finances. 
we don't leave room for any mistakes or missteps in those areas. And so we can't really say to ourselves, good try. You almost balanced that checkbook. It's $30 off, but who cares? I had a church secretary in South Carolina who was who spent a whole day on the books because she couldn't find eight cents. And I picked eight cents out of my pocket and I went, here, do something else. <laughs> and she said, that's not the point. <laughs> Which, of course, she was right. Everybody's got a little gremlin of perfectionism in there somewhere. And you sometimes call it the inner critic. Julia Cameron, in the reading that Biss read, Julia Cameron calls it the critic. And a lot of people have a critic inside who knows you better than anybody else knows you and doesn't think much of you. And your inner critic says things like, do not get up and dance at this wedding reception. You look ridiculous. Or it says... You really should have overcome that challenge with more grace than you did. You had a couple of meltdowns, and you should not have had even one, because you are a strong, perfect person. What is this meltdown thing you're doing? Or the inner critic says, my goodness, I wouldn't wear that if I were you. (laughs) Better wear a little more sober colors, because, you know, your body's not perfect. The inner critic is is an editor when you're writing or creating. The inner critic is always pointing at this and goes, oh, that's a mistake. Although, um, I've told you I've been watching these BBC shows called The Portrait Artist of the Year. And the artists are so good about shrugging off mistakes and even welcoming mistakes because they say, oh, yeah, that thing dripped down there and it looks great and I'm going to drip it over here too. I'm going to incorporate mistakes because they surprise me and uh, that keeps me from getting bored. And I think, boy, that's a life lesson. I'm going to make mistakes that will surprise me and keep me from getting bored, but I can't paint, so my mistakes are worse. Most of you all are writers of some kind or another, and writers are really bad about criticizing their work where you you write the first paragraph of your story or your first draft of your poem, and you just rake it over and over and over and over and over and over again. And sometimes you even paralyze yourself because you're in a blank page situation, and the critic is just sitting there waiting for you to put something down waiting to say something, like a scorpion. I've figured out what to do, finally, with my inner critic. When I'm writing something, I call it my editor, and I send my editor on a vacation (laughs) to Madagascar (laughs) or Ecuador. And I say, have a good time. I'll call you when I want you to come back. And then I get to write my, what we call our crappy first draft. 
because you have to be able to do that in order to get to the good stuff, right? My inner critic that speaks to me about other things, what I've done with him, and it is a him, I don't know why. Uh, What I've done with him is I give him a classroom at UT full of brilliant students, and he can lecture them, and they nod and take notes. He can lecture them about all the mistakes that I've made. I am his sole focus. And this class is just about me. (laughs) And how many missteps I might have made. Even things I think were pretty good. He has something to say about him, but I can't hear him anymore. Because he's at his classroom at UT. And he's very happy because the students do take notes. And then he quizzes them on what he said, and they remember everything. Perfectionism does not allow for a friendly, warm world. It only allows for competition and criticism and cold calculation about who is the best in the room. And it sometimes spills over into other people so that you try to manage other people's lives with the same perfection that you're trying to come up with in your own life, but it's a lot easier and more fun to manage other people's lives. It spills over. And so my hope for us this morning is that we could recognize perfectionism for the destructive element that it is in life, for that gremlin that lives inside your head that tells you you're not enough, that you're not pretty enough, not strong enough, not handsome enough, that you sure have deteriorated with age, or that you sure do need to get a little older so that you can handle the things that they tell you you can't handle when you're younger. Especially parenting, the gremlin is terrible because it always tells you you're not a very good parent. Almost always. It makes your life perilous because you don't give yourself any room to step, to take a step, to take a misstep. Your mistakes are experiences that you can learn from and use. Most of you all know already about the Japanese art of kintsugi, where uh, it started, the legend goes, with a shogun who had a favorite tea bowl. And the tea bowl broke, and he sent it to China to be repaired. And it came back repaired, but with staples in it, and it was ugly. And some of the artisans in his court had an idea that they would fix the bowl, take the staples out and fix the bowl with gold lacquer. And so the cracks were then emphasized and lined with gold. And so it was beautiful, but in a different way from the beautiful that it had been while it was unbroken. And it satisfied his sense of not wanting to waste something beautiful. And it satisfied his sense of being accepting of change. And so 
kintsugi is something that we can think about when we feel that we've made a misstep and we've broken a friendship or we've broken a partnership or we've broken our story, as Kelly read to us. If we feel like we've broken it, sometimes we just want to give up and say, well, it's not perfect anymore. I worked with a man who worked for an asphalt paving company um, during this period of my life where I was in the industrial world, which was really different from the world I had grown up in. And so he worked for this paving company, and the guy, would, the head of the company, would buy new trucks for his workers from time to time. And he would go out to the new truck, and he would take a steel pipe and wham it down on the tailgate of the new truck. And he would say, okay, now it's ready to be a work truck. And you all won't spend so much time trying not to ding it. You'll just get to work. I think of that a lot. If you break a friendship, the friendship is just now in a position to become deeper and more real. If you break your story, it's just in a position to become more interesting and complex. The gold that we fix the cracks with must be love. And love is attention and listening and quiet and willingness to persist. Does that make sense? And so when we've broken something, we can almost be glad because it's going to be a different something from now on. But if we fix the cracks with the gold of love and attention, listening and persistence, then we can have something differently beautiful. And we can maybe even learn how to appreciate our own flaws and vulnerabilities as much as we appreciate others. May it be so. This church is supported by your generous pledges and by your paying on those generous pledges. And it is still a time when you can make your pledges to this congregation. It's coming up on the end of the year. Um, The stewardship committee wants to make sure that you remember the church at the end of the year.
Please join me as we extinguish the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. The words of Holly Near. I am open and I am willing for to be hopeless would seem so strange. It dishonors those who go before us. So lift us up to the light of change. May it be so. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.